Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. You're all very welcome back to the Celtic Soul Podcast with me, Andrew Millen. My guest on the show today will be Celtic historian and author David Potter. This episode has been sponsored by the Tunnel Craftworks, Portadown, and I would like to thank Tip McCann for his continued support of both the fanzine and now the podcast. If your business or Salic Supporters Club would like to give us some support or sponsor an episode, please email us at info at You can also contact us through the website or on our social media platforms. Ten years of group stage football in Europe was what we were reminded of when the reporter told Neil Lennon last night after he watched Sarajevo park the bus at home in a one-off toy. Salic did come up with the goods and produced another winning performance. This time, French Eddie producing the goods in front of goal. Celtic were dominant throughout the game, and now we all look towards St. Johnson away on Sunday and a crucial three points up for grabs. Let's not look too far ahead to the Rangers game. This game is every bit as important in the quest for 10, and the same amount of points are up for grabs. The only thing that's up for grabs when we play Rangers, apart from three points, is bragging rights. And bragging rights don't win titles. 10 years of waiting for the draw, hoping to get online quick enough to get a cheap flight or a hotel in the Europa League or the Champions League. How we would have loved to be doing that today when the draw was made earlier. UEFA have given the go-ahead for 30% of fans to re-enter football stadiums if the governments of that country allows. We have seen fans return to football in Germany, but in my home country, Ireland, and indeed in Scotland, restrictions are getting tighter as the coronavirus continues to spread. So I can't see us getting into Salic Park anytime soon, but I really hope I'm wrong. David Potter is a retired school teacher who hails from Forfar in Scotland. He is a respected Celtic historian and has wrote numerous books on the club. He has contributed more than 90 minutes for many years and is also a regular contributor on our website, CelticFanzine.com. 
Hi, David. You're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. Did you ever think that we would be living under such restrictions? And how have you spent the time in lockdown, cocooning, and not being able to go to see Celtic? Well, it's been a problem. Uh, I Obviously, nobody could have predicted what's happened uh, to the world the last uh, six months or so. Uh, nevertheless, I think it's something we just have to get through. I think we will get through it. Uh, I think that one of the great comforts is actually the knowledge of uh, of Celtic, you know, the sort of uh, thing that's kept us going for all these years. I mean, I, for example, at the start of lockdown, I wrote a book. I was a, a publisher wanted me to do this, to write a book on Scot- Celtic in the Scottish Cup. You know, it's, um, the Scottish Cup Celtic's favourite uh, uh, trophy, which will be published in November. And uh, that's been a, a great help to me. I've obviously done in a hurry, but my publisher was quite keen that it should be done in lockdown because he thinks there's all the more need for people. People do actually read books a lot more in lockdown. Books have, uh, have not been affected by the general economic collapse. They're one of the things they're doing very well. Yeah, it's funny when you mention the books. Um, I think when, when we went into lockdown first, our readership on the website went through the roof. And then out of that, we started the podcast just to keep busy, really. And that's gone now. Oh, that's gone. We can't believe how well that's gone. So yeah, it does definitely is. And uh, until the season started up again, people were delving into the history because there was we couldn't look forward at that stage. We were delving into the history. So I'm sure a lot of your books got read. Now, just before we get stuck into talking about Celtic, how many books have you written in total and how many of them are about Celtic? I think um, it's difficult to say because I've done a lot as, uh, in uh, conjunction with other people. Uh, probably I've done about, uh, I think, 40 books and about 30 of them will be about Celtic. Wow. My speciality is uh, actually biographies of old Celtic players. Uh, for example, at the moment, I'm now working on one about Alec McNair, you know, of, uh, from Stennis Weir, the right back of the great team of the of uh, Melee's Edwardian uh, eleven, and uh, I've just started working on him, and uh, he's a fascinating character as well. And how do you reset? Obviously, you, you've done some um, books with, with players who are still living, so you can. It's easy to research them, or the families are still living. How hard is it to research a book about one of these players from? Yesteryear. Well, actually, to be honest, I frankly prefer doing books about them. Um, uh, yesteryear because the if you do things about current um, players or recently dead players, you have a great chance of saying the wrong thing, upsetting people, which is not really what I'm in the interest uh, I really want to do. You know, I'd far rather write about somebody like uh, Alec McNair or McMenemy or Sonny Jim or somebody like that, somebody who is uh, who's long dead, uh, because you're less likely to upset anybody. And also there's a certain degree of objectivity about it because you're based on looking for newspapers and whatnot uh, whereas if you go by people's uh, recollections of uh, an event they're very much skewed in one direction or another and quite a lot of players I've discovered actually get things wrong about their own life you know they claim they played in the game when in fact they didn't so you need the facts to be correct and I suppose I uh... Are you delving through libraries and books and newspapers? Yes. Basically, the British Newspaper Archive has been a very great tool for me because that has uh, uh, most newspapers of the era in which I'm interested. And uh, they're very good. And uh, you have to work hard to find it. I mean, it's a lot of hard work finding these things. But uh, especially in lockdown, it means I don't actually have to go to libraries. Obviously, it's a lot better if you could go to libraries and spend a whole afternoon there, which is clearly not possible these days. Uh, but uh, it's uh, a lot easier um, 
just by looking up uh, on, on your computer. And it's remarkable what you find on your computer. Remarkable. Sure is. I, I read um, the Sonny Jim book again recently. It wasn't actually, it was before the lockdown. And uh, it, 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 it's testimony to you that you are educating us and bringing these people to life in these books because a lot of people, they kind of, they go back as far as maybe 57 and the 7-1 and, you know, because people are still alive and they can still talk about it and then they push forward to the Great Lisbon Lions and so forth. So for me, it's great to, to delve in and I think the readers of the fanzine are lucky as well because you've always contributed and given us, there's always something we don't know when you send an article in and we always Thank get a great you. response from the readers. Thank you very much. Thank you. But I'm going to push forward now many, many years. I'm going to push forward to last night. Uh, another qualification for a European group not the Champions League. I noticed last night that Neil was more relieved that we qualified. Yeah. I then switched over to watch Dundalk and they were celebrating like they had won the Europa League because it's a massive thing for an Irish club to qualify for the group stage. And then I finally finished off my football viewing watching the end of the Rangers game and they celebrated like they had won it. So it seems to be a bigger thing across the city than it does be for to, to Celtic and maybe the Celtic fans do you think we've been spoiled for the past 10 years? I think we probably have. We've also been deprived in a way as well because we feel that we really should be in the Champions League and doing well in the Champions League because our support is big enough to warrant that. You know, the support and enthusiasm for the club worldwide is, in my view, actually second to none. And uh, we really feel, therefore, that we should be in the Champions League and, uh, and performing well in, in the Champions League. Having said that, uh, getting to the Europa League is at least something. My main emotion last night was relief. I was very glad to hear the referee's final whistle. I mean, I know we played very well, actually, to be uh, in some ways, and we should have scored more goals, but there's still that feeling that uh, um, Celtic tend to give away silly goals at the back. Now, that has actually stopped uh, to a certain extent, the past uh, recently, but in the time of when Roy Aiken and uh, uh, Tom McAdam and that played in the in the defence, you could always guarantee that Celtic would throw away a silly goal in Europe, you know. And you're always at the back of your mind. And Europe has always been a great disappointment to me in in recent years. I mean, that of course is because I remember Lisbon. Yeah, I think uh, of our older listeners that are kind of spoiled, and I think a lot of our younger listeners are spoiled, and the younger fans because they they don't know defeat. You were lucky enough to remember the highs when Celtic were conquering Europe, but someone like me who's in between, uh, I thought it was great when I started following Celtic. Just when I got an interest in them, they done a centenary double. They won the cup the following year. Oh, yeah, 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 and yeah, then, yeah. And then I had ten barren years, with the exception of the the Scottish Cup. So. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think maybe some are spoiled, some were spoiled, and some of us really are enjoying this because we went through those barren years, as I said. Now, also, we have a game on Saturday against St. Johnson, or Sunday against St. Johnson, and I think listening to fans last night and listening to a couple of podcasts this morning, I think we're overlooking this game. You know, mm. these are games we can slip up, and we have slipped up after European games before. I think people are looking too far ahead. There's an international break before we play Rangers. So it's very important. And you know more than anybody that upsets happen because you know the history books. Well, certainly. Um, I think that uh, um, St. Johnson is a ground which uh, you always get a tough game there, but we tend to pull through 
at St Johnston in, in recent years certainly it uh, wasn't always like this Adam I've seen them being beaten at St Johnston in the past uh, 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 several times but uh, I think that um, uh, it's a ground I actually like going to both at their old Murton Park and now their McDermott Park because they're a, a team which is not really from a, a footballing part of Scotland but yeah, they do very well to keep a, they keep their team going, you know. And and I've always liked St Johnson's supporters. I know they're one of the uh, the few supporters of uh, football teams that actually vote conservative in Scotland. Apparently, <laughs> them and them and, them and Rangers and Queen of the South apparently are all uh, um, vote, tend to vote conservative. But, but they're all quite decent people, you know. They're they're, they're kind of like Dunfermline. Dunfermline's a team that I've always I've always liked their supporters. You know, there's nothing. Really, nasty within Fermland, or, or or indeed, um, uh, most supporters of most teams are actually quite decent. There are the exceptions, of course. But but to get back to your point about St Johnston, yes, we mustn't take them too lightly because the way this league is going this year, it is going to be very very tight. Uh, because we can't really afford any slip-ups at all because Rangers, let's face it, are really quite good this year. They're far better than they've been for many years, in my view. Yeah, they're not conceding many goals either. No, they're not. No, they're not. For, for the listeners, that's Ali in the background, David's dog. That's, uh, that's my dog, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast, Ali. Uh, he's actually in the back door, believe it or not, but it's a nice day he's running about daft to the back door. Yeah. Oh, he can't be the man's best friend. David, can you can you take the listeners back to your early days of supporting Celtic? And I and I know your dad was an influence on you. Can you just take us back, maybe through the early days? Well, I first saw Celtic at Dens Park in 1958. I was just too young to have gone to see the 7-1 game. I remember all about the 7-1 game. I remember who was doing that afternoon. It was at the uh, matinee performance of the pictures and the member coming home and all, all that. I was just a bit too young for the, the 7-1 game. And the context of Lisbon and the success of the late 60s was actually late in the early 60s. The early 60s were my formative years, and really um, it was a, a dreadful time to be supporting Celtic because they had good enough players, they had, in theory, uh, a good manager, but the manager wasn't allowed to run the team. The team was run by the, 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 the Bob Kelly who, frankly, uh, for all that he did for Celtic in the political sense, he really didn't know very much about football. He wasn't actually a football man. He did I take my hat off to him for his fight to keep the era flag flying over Celtic Park in 1952, and he made sure that Celtic weren't ever bullied. I mean, he was well into the SFA and the Scottish League and things like that, so he, he did a good job in that respect. But, uh, frankly, he just didn't know very much about football. and. Uh, Mr. McGrory was a, a nice gentleman, uh, uh, but rather easily persuaded that, um, you know, he should, this guy should be inside right and this guy should be inside left. And the result was really a very frustrating and a very angry and a very heartbreaking time to be a young man as the fall Celtic. I mean, I remember vividly the Scottish Cup final replays on Wednesday nights of um, Dunfermline 61 Rangers in, uh, in 63. I mean, these were just awful nights, you know, awful to go through. And uh, never any sort of thing you could say against Rangers supporters to shut them up other than the 7-1, which the oftener he talked about 7-1, uh, the less effect it had on them. Because it was, you know, got more and more into the the history, and we just really had nothing to 
uh, to speak about until Mr. Steen arrived. Mr. Steen's arrival was more or less uh, instant uh, change. Uh, my favourite game probably is still the Celtic Dunfermline Scottish Cup final of 1965, Billy McNeil's header. And Probably it beats Lisbon. I was actually at Hamden that day. I wasn't at Lisbon. I was a student. Uh, I couldn't afford it. But uh, I certainly was at Hamden in 1965. And it's probably still is my favourite uh, Celtic game in it. It changed everything. I mean, the word revolution comes to mind. I mean, you have to be very careful about the word revolution if you talk about the French and the Russian revolutions and so on. But certainly this game against Dunfermline, 24th of April 1965, was indeed a revolution. So would you compare the 65 Cup final maybe to, in modern day, to the 6-2 against Rangers when Martin O'Neill, we, we knew that things were changing? Yes, the, the cry was no defenders game. Yes, I love that game as well. I would actually compare it more... Uh, the parallel in, uh, if I may say so, in your time was probably the Airdrie Cup final of 1995. Now, that was a terrible game. It was really one of the worst Celtic teams of all time, actually. It was, I mean, they really didn't deserve to win very much um, in these days because the players ahead were just, frankly, substandard in some cases. But... But they won well that day. Uh, they didn't win well that day. They won that day. And the feeling I remember of the support, I was not that game, couldn't get a ticket. As you remember, there was only 37,000 allowed um, in Hamden in uh, 1995. And um, uh, the feeling of the support, they were just energised and so on. And actually, the next two years, the Celtic played well. In 1996, 1997, they were a good team in both these years. Uh, just that Rangers had the luck on the right occasions and, uh, and Rangers got the better of them. But I would certainly say the parallel, um, looking back on it historically, yes, the 6-2 game, that was the one that really changed things. You know, and appropriately, it was at the start of the new century as well. 27th of August 2000, if I remember rightly, was it? Am I right? right. And uh, uh, that really changed things. And that showed everybody that Celtic now, with a new stadium uh, and energised support, that they really did mean business. And, of course, they did. And push on, they did. And, and we've enjoyed it ever since. I know we've had a couple of managers and we've had many players, but... The fans are always there, and I think we have, you know, we've had some great times. Who would have believed that we would have got to a final in Europe when we were knocked out by Bal in the, in the Champions League qualifier, and then we went on this amazing run to Seville, which probably, a season we won nothing, but a season that sticks out in my mind as one of my favourite seasons following Celtic. Yes, 2003. Actually, I frankly think that the best football was played, though, in season 2002. Uh, if you remember, we won the league by a country mile that day, beating, I think, Livingston to win it, uh, you know, with uh, games in hand. But the football was really superb that year. Again, unfortunately, we lost in two unfortunate games to Rangers and also in, uh, in Europe as well. But I, I really enjoyed uh, that particular year, 2001 to 2002. I know we didn't win as much as we should have won or as we deserved to have won in that year, but I thought the football was really quite superb. And indeed, 2003 as well was also uh, loads of good football. And of course, you had uh, the man whom you have named your dog after, Henrik Larsson. You know, he, was a, he wasn't a bad player. Yeah, I, I remember you picked a best 11 of uh, players who we wouldn't have known for the fans. Yeah. And you picked it a couple of years ago because at, the, at that time, 
we had the opportunity to vote for the greatest ever Celtic team and arguably they, they all deserve a merit but I did pose the question to you and you go back and um, we must dig it out actually that article and you went back and you spoke about all these great players we had over the years but I think Henrik fits into any team oh yes yes indeed yes he's the greatest yeah. I've seen a Celtic and him and Paul McStay I think are two standout players from many many brilliant players we've seen I was just going to say about Paul McStay I'm actually quite sorry for Paul McStay because he was a brilliant player who came at a bad time you know I think I'm a wee bit sorry for Paul he was as good as you could expect you know he was very good very good but he just came at the wrong time and um, he didn't quite have the you know how can I put it he didn't quite have the the personality to lift the team on his own you know in the way that maybe Larson did because uh, Larson scored goals. I mean, McStay could score goals as well. McStay had visionary passing ability, but uh, uh, there was just too much going wrong for Paul at that time at Celtic Park. You know, with with players who uh, perhaps were um, you know good enough, but uh, not brilliant. You know, not not in the same class as Paul. Without doubt, yeah, Paul Paul was outstanding, and I had Willie on the the podcast recently, and yeah. you know, he says Paul deserves everything. He, every plot that he gets because he was, he was magnificent and he was so loyal to Celtic and I don't think we'd see that in a modern footballer. No, I don't think no, Peter Lowell right. would allow it. He would definitely sell no. him on. Aye, well, and, uh, um, I also think quite a lot of modern players who had, um, you know, with any sort of ability would say, here, we're no, we're no sticking around for this. You know, yeah. given the chaos that was going on in the early 90s, you know, that I mentioned the early 60s and the early 90s. These were the bad years. They have one thing in common. And the thing in common is the name Kelly, I'm afraid. Yeah, true, the Kellys, yeah. say, I'm afraid, have a lot to answer for. James Kelly in the early days was good. A great player, great administrator. But uh, the Kellys in the 1960s and the 1990s, I'm afraid, I really don't have very much sympathy for. I don't know how I follow that because uh, I, think, I think a lot of people think the same. We've been lucky enough to have people on that were involved in overthrowing the Kellys and we've had people on yeah. who... John Fallon was on, and I know when he received his, when he received his medal, there was some uh, unsavoury comments on Twitter from members of families who were oysted at Celtic Park. I, I have heard the story about John's medal, incidentally, and I've heard it from John himself, and he's put it very graphically to me. Let's just leave it like that. Yes. Yes, and, and John is not a man that minces his words, as you know. John wrote, does not hold back. John's a great self. I love John. And, and you wrote his book, so... Indeed, yes, yes, you, yes. You know more about John than probably he does himself sometimes. Well, uh, um, John was actually very, very communicative. I mean, when he wrote his book, I mean, you had the job shutting, shutting him up sometimes, you know, because he, he said a few things that, you know, I had to exclude because they were just a wee bit too, you know, well, they weren't really relevant in some cases, you know, and a total difference from the book that I wrote about uh, Charlie Gallagher. Now, Charlie's a different guy altogether. Charlie found it very difficult to get Charlie to say anything about himself. And Charlie was a great player, you know, but uh, it's all about, uh, uh, you know, writing about players that are, are still alive. You just have to watch what you're doing sometimes, you know, which is yeah, why I prefer old ones. I always, I always write, when I interviewed Charlie, I interviewed him at a dinner dance uh, for the magazine uh, many years ago, up in Palomina. Uh-huh. And uh, he actually cried during the interview. Charlie did. It was it was a it was a brilliant interview. And as you say, it's hard to get him to talk. Uh, I've attended many functions, and he won't speak at them. But he was uh-huh. absolutely. The interview was brilliant, and I still to this day, it's one of the best interviews I ever done. Yeah, and yeah. One yeah. that one that sticks out. 
because he spoke about um, when he represented Ireland, the first non-Irish born playoff. You know, yes, he represented yes. the Aspera and and Jimmy McGee, the great Jimmy McGee, the commentator, had gone mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. to Donegal and uh, was in his family's home, and they had him on the radio, and it was like when you think back to the the sixties, you know, that must have been the big thing to you know for him to travel to Donegal to capture this moment. And yeah, unfortunately, Cali yeah. only played a handful of times for the Republic. Because back then, I think, uh, if, if there was trouble with chairman in, in Celtic, I think the players maybe were picking the teams for Ireland. Anyway, Dave, um, now, Celtic is a club for all. It's a club for all religions and none. You, you come from the Protestant faith, and football fans of all faiths follow Celtic. But normally, when someone comes from the Protestant faith, and they're not, they're not Glasgow-born, they tend to lean towards Rangers. Oh, I think I can explain that very, uh, very readily. Actually, very readily. It all goes back to my, to my great grandfather, to my grandfather. Actually, my great grandfather, certain extent, but mainly uh, my grandfather, who was uh, uh, he played for a, a junior football team called Forfar Celtic around about the turn of the century, the 18th and 19th century. And uh, he began to love the the Glasgow Celtic because uh, they played so well. I mean, he uh, he, he was uh, a fairly young man when uh, young Looney and he and Jimmy Quinn and them were around, and he was able to go and see them once or twice, and uh, he was just attracted by the sheer quality of the football, and it was no for no other reason at all. And there are quite a lot of people in the east of Scotland. I know the west of Scotland, particularly around with Glasgow, can be different, but the east of Scotland, I would honestly say that sectarianism, it's, it's not to say it doesn't exist, but it's absolutely minimal and usually ridiculed by people like me. I mean, I will never talk about sectarianism without ridiculing it. And I mean, I'm, I'll stick with that, you know, and uh, I mean, I think you have to be very aware that it is an issue, but uh, it's, uh, it's really quite poisonous. You know, and one of my favourite hobbies now and again is uh, drawing up a team of all t- time, you know, of Protestants versus Catholics, you know, if we've played for Celtic, you know. And I think I would have to say, I think probably uh, the the Catholics would win because you've got Patsy Gallagher and Jimmy McMenemy and Jimmy McGrory. The Catholics would probably win. But on the other hand, the Protestants would put up a good uh, performance with Jock Steen as their manager, John Thompson in the goal, Sonny Jim at right half, Henrik Larson in the forward line, Kenny Dalglish in the forward line. I mean, it wouldn't be a bad team at all. You might stick Danny McGrain in there as well. Oh, Danny, I forgot about Danny McGrain. My apologies, Danny. Danny would write back. Yes, indeed. Or, or actually, my, the one I'm uh, reading at the moment, uh, Alec McNear, the one I'm researching at the moment, Alec McNear, was also from a, a non-Catholic background. So uh, I, I probably do think the Roman Catholics would win, uh, just because of Patsy Gallagher and people. But... It doesn't matter. That's why I said a team for all. A team for all. And, and here the Protestants, Pro- Protestants would also have Bertie Old. You know, now he would be, I can imagine him doing a few uh, crafty wee, you know, ones on uh, Patsy Gallagher and things. It would be fun. It would be fun. Yeah, I, I love the way of my walks. It's brilliant. You got me thinking of <laughs> Tommy Gemmell at left back as well. Tommy Gemmell would be a good left back. Yeah, you're getting a great team there. And uh, indeed, then. And John Thompson in the goal, I mean, come on. Or, or even keeping it Ronnie Simpson. Ronnie Simpson would be the substitute goalkeeper. You know? Yeah, I think I think that's the great thing about Celtic, that we've had so many players from different faiths and different colours and different religions yes, over indeed. the years. And we can be proud of that. Of course, of course. Yeah. Now, listen, 
I can't have you on the podcast without you taking me back to that famous night in Lisbon in 1967 right. when you were a student in Glasgow. Because I've, hey, I've no, heard Saint this. Andrews. I've St. Andrews. St. Andrews. I apologize. I've heard this story before, so I'd love you to share it with the listeners. Well, what is there to say? I mean, we want to do one. Uh, uh, my own uh, particular uh, memory, of course, is that it was the reason I didn't go was I probably could have afforded it. I think my father would have found ways of getting money to get me to go to uh, Lisbon if I wanted to. But unfortunately, I had my uh, Greek exam the next day, first year Greek. So I was uh, sitting in our common room all afternoon, bagging a seat to see the game. And I was reading uh, Homer's Iliad 1 and Homer's Iliad 8 and Euripides Dia. Uh, and I remember it was, you know, I, was, I remember kind of, I was kind of worried about my Greek as well, you know, but I did pass as it turned out. And uh, so half past five came, the, uh, on comes the television, and the bloody thing broke down. As happened a lot in the 1960s, you know, just at the time when Inter Milan got the penalty. I didn't see the penalty. So my friend and I, who was actually a Rangers supporter, but was supporting Celtic tonight, we ran up to the next residence hall up the top of the road and uh, we uh, watched the rest of the game there. And uh, everything just passed so uh, so quickly and so euphorically. And you really couldn't take it in at the time. You know, there was so many... Um, you know, great things that were uh, that were going on, and you didn't realise the enormity of it all until um, you know, until probably even years later, you didn't realise what it meant to have won the European Cup. You know, and obviously, it's a great part of my life still. And when did you get to speak to your dad? Because obviously, you were at college. Oh yes, yes. that's where um, my my dad actually had phoned when I was out. I was out celebrating. And uh, then I think he phoned the next day, if I remember rightly, but he was still totally incoherent, you know. And of course, I went, my, my exam was on the Friday and on the Saturday morning, believe it or not, the uh, Andrews University gave you exams on Saturday morning, but I went home on the Saturday, uh, Saturday afternoon uh, on the bus with my cases and everything. And the first thing my dad said to me was, well, that was a great day when on. A great one on Thursday night, and we talked about nothing else for the rest of that summer. You know, it was just, uh, it was just uh, quite unbelievable the way that they uh, that um, things had happened. I just wish we get a chance to see this happening again. I really do. Yeah, when we think back to like '67, you look look at the big, you know, the team arriving back to Glasgow on the back of a coal lorry, looking so dapper. You know, looking like looking like you know, like mods from a scooter rally, looking so well and the. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the, the short hair, the tin toys, the suits, they look yeah, yeah. so sharp. Can you remember what else was going on around that time in the world or in, in, in Scotland? Or? Yes, very, very, very clearly, because at moments like that, you're related to other things. Obviously, I had my own business of getting through my exams at the end of my first year at St Andrews and having finished my first year and so on. But uh, I do remember also uh, the Arab-Israeli war broke out on, I think, the 5th of June. I may be wrong about that, but very soon afterwards, and they were all, uh, you know, muscling up to each other in the Middle East. And I didn't really understand the Middle East politics in these days. I didn't understand really what it was all about. I didn't actually know, see what the fuss was all about. But I remember everybody saying, oh, this could lead to a nuclear war and things like this. And you've, you've, there was still a wee bit in Great Britain uh, of trust, uh, mistrust rather, against Nasser, who was, of course, the dictator of Egypt 
could uh, fall out with Anthony Eden over Suez in 1956. This was only 11 years later, and there was still a lot of feelings. Of, oh, you've got to watch that Nasser. You've got to watch him. He's a baddie. He's a baddie. You know, people end up saying that. You know, without really understanding very much about what the Middle East situation uh, was all about. But uh, but I remember I did, I, that was going on. You know, immediately after uh, the European time, and of course. On the Wednesday afterwards, there was uh, uh, Rangers in uh, their European Cup Winners' Cup. Right. Now, for a long time, I really agonised about that game because had Rangers won that game, it would have been uh, quite, uh, you know, uh, without any doubt, uh, Scotland would have been the footballing capital of the world. I mean, I could imagine that both trophies would have been uh, on show in Edinburgh Castle and uh, Stirling Castle and all these places, you know, and everybody would have flocked to Scotland to see. So there would have been spin-offs that way. On the other hand, I found it very, very difficult. In fact, I found it impossible to want Rangers to win anything. Uh, I had a lot of friends who were Rangers supporters, and I really was actually, in some ways, I was quite sorry for them because they actually, quite a lot of my friends were actually sorry for me in the early 60s. I would have to say that, they were, you know, um, and, uh, uh, quite, and, and I was quite sorry for what they'd gone through in 1967 at Berwick. Uh, and I remember on the Wednesday night uh, uh, watching the game on TV, and my father made a point of digging his garden that night. Now, my father had always said that if Rangers were playing at the back door, he would draw the curtains so as not to see them. Now, he he carried out his, uh, what he said about that. It was the other way around. Rangers were playing the house. So he went outside and he was digging his garden, you know. And I came, went, I wandered out half time to tell him how the game was going and he pretended not to be interested. And then, of course, eventually the Germans scored in extra time and Germans won. They went out. By this time, it was getting a wee bit dark, you know. And um, my dad was still working away his garden. I says, aye, that's Bayern Munich have won. They scored an extra time and they've beaten Rangers, you know. And uh, he stopped what he was doing. He looked at me and he said something like, how sad for them. And I says, aye, how sad. And then the pair of us were caught each other's eyes and we doubled up with laughter. <laughs> <laughs> doubled up with laughter. <laughs> <laughs> and my mind went back, my mind went back to four years previously, that horrible night of the 1963 uh, Scottish Cup final, when uh, the Celtic end emptied. You know, I remember the glow of blue colours at the other end. I remember the almost eerie silence at the Celtic end as people started to go home, you know, and everybody saying, where are you going? We all will never make this. We'll never, uh, never be a team. And things like that. And then, but, uh, the, you know, uh, the Celtic again empty, and it was, it, was, it was awful. It was awful. But uh, the, the wheel turned, and 1967 was 1967. Now, David, can you give us just um, an insight into the, all these books you've, you've written? There has to be, obviously tell us about your latest books and where we can purchase them. And also... Do you have a favourite? Difficult. Um, right. Uh, now, how can I put this? Yes. Uh, I, I've, um, some books are easier written than others. Um, I, I've said before that what I really like is doing biographies of old players like Sonny Jim and uh, uh, Sonny, um, Jimmy Delaney and Tommy McAnally and people like that, you know. And uh, my favourite player, I would have to say, in the old days, would be Patsy Gallagher. 
uh, largely because uh, I got the Patsy Gallagher from my father. You know, I would come home and say, ah, Murdoch had a great game a day, and Chalmers has a great game, and Jimmy, see Jimmy Johnson, you know. And my father would look at me almost pityingly, and he would say, ah, you never saw Patsy Gallagher. You know, so from that reason, I've inherited a love for Patsy. And uh, he was one of my earliest books, actually, the, the biography of uh, Patsy Gallagher, The Mighty Atom. But I think my favourite player would have to be Jimmy Quinn. I don't know why I like Jimmy Quinn, but I just do. I mean, he was one of the, he was twice sent off against Rangers and both times a feeling of injustice about it. I mean, obviously I wasn't there, I can't say, but uh, certainly the Celtic supporters at the time felt that uh, he was very unjustly treated. So uh, for that reason, um, you know, in fact, Jimmy Quinn was a, a man who, you know, he's just a, an ordinary, humble minor man from Croy who didn't actually speak very much to people. He was just a quiet, shy, introverted sort of character, you know, and yet he was the man who uh, absolutely changed Edwardian society. Everybody talked about Jimmy Quinn. Everybody talked about Jimmy Quinn. The story went that on, in, uh, I think it was May 1910, when uh, um, Edward VII died and somebody heard somebody saying, I see the great man's away. You know, meaning Edward the Seventh, whereas uh, uh, somebody thought it was Jimmy Quinn, and his story started that Jimmy had died. You know, because he was certainly a greater man than Edward the Seventh ever was. But um, no, I've, I, I, like, uh, I like Jimmy Quinn. I've, I've always been lucky in that when I've done books, I've always had maximum support from the families. The Quinns, his granddaughters, uh, uh, they were very helpful, and uh, particularly when I did the book on Jimmy Delaney. Jimmy Delaney's son uh, uh, was very, very helpful. And uh, I went to Cleland and uh, I met uh, John, John Delaney there and, uh, and also um, John Kennedy, who, of course, is now in Celtic back, uh, back room staff. He was, he was very helpful. And it was, just, it was just a great experience to uh, do all my research and find out about all these, about all these great men. Uh, currently, what I've done, uh, I told you in lockdown, I did about the Scottish Cup which should be around on uh, the 2nd of, uh, of, of November, I think. Uh, we've also, with, uh, along with the, the Celtic star, we've done one about uh, uh, Brother Walfred and the Bold Boys, which um, I've done, I did a third of that one. I did the early players. Somebody else did the, uh, the Celtics first season. Uh, someone else did the, the Founding Fathers, which incidentally I found very, very interesting because it wasn't anything I knew very much about. And uh, I did the uh, early players, people like Dan Doyle, Sandy McMahon. Oh, now, there was another one that uh, Sandy McMahon's family, uh, they were very, very helpful um, with, uh, with what I wanted to do with Sandy. He was a great man as well. But it's been a great life. It's been a great time researching all these chaps. And, uh, and uh, I've, it's been my you know, all-consuming hobby, perhaps. Uh, but uh, I don't regret a single minute that I spent on it. It's um, part of my identity, and uh, and I just love doing it. And I hope to keep doing it for many, many years yet. Yeah, Liam, young Liam Kelly, who who is a young author, he he's yeah, wrote yeah, yeah. For, for that book as well. And I think it's brilliant that someone so young is coming through now because yes. um, and has a passion for the history of the club. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. Liam's going to start writing for us as well. He's just had stuff in in the latest fanzine, and we're just. Uh-huh. Just delighted to get uh, someone, someone so young that has still has got a passion for the history. Because most younger fans you speak to, 
it's just all about today. Yes, 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 indeed. And uh, and uh, so much that uh, uh, of Celtic is actually bound up in their history, you know. And uh, I think this is one of the reasons why I miss not being able to go to Celtic Park these days because, uh, you know, you're, uh, you want to walk among history, as it were, you know. And you don't get the opportunity when you, you know, that the... I mean, I was at, uh, I went to Alec McNair's gravestone the other day in Larbert Cemetery, which I eventually uh, tracked down. And it was just a, a great feeling to be uh, in the presence of a, of a great self. And even the silly things like trying to imagine the David's funeral, you know, with his Jimmy McGrory and Melee and McMenemy and all them would have been there. You know, just to imagine it, it's uh, just it's part of uh, the history of our, of our great club. Yes, indeed. And part of our history as well was not doing the 10. Can you remember, you know, when we don't do nine in a row and then yeah. we we're going for the 10? Because I've asked so many people this and no one can, no one can put the finger on it. You know, what went wrong that season? Uh, I think that um, they just got a wee bit tired of success. I think the appetite for success was no longer there in the way that it should have been. Um, the, we're talking here about season 1974 to 1975. Now, it's strange to say that because they won the League Cup very well that year by beating Hibs, if I remember rightly, and uh, they won the Scottish Cup by beating Avery. So it wasn't a barren season, but it was just that uh, I don't know that uh, uh, the games that um, uh, they should have won, they didn't. I remember in particular one horrible game in January uh, January 1975, uh, when we lost the Motherwell at Celtic Park. And it was at that point that I became a wee bit disillusioned with the side. And I thought, you know, there's not really the, the go about them that I feel that there should be. It was also a day that uh, really upset me because uh, it was a day when some some Celtic fans, and I emphasise some uh, in the jungle, turned on uh, Paul Wilson. And uh, a few racist chants were heard at Paul because of the colour of his skin. And there was no, no excuse for that, nor could there ever be. I mean, I will not accept ignorance as an excuse for that sort of behaviour because Celtic fans should never, ever behave like that. Never, ever. Here, here, David. I was just that game at... uh, uh, I think we'd lost the Rangers at the New Year as well. And January was a bad time. And that particular game at Motherwell, I just wondered, you know, uh, are we going to... And then we lost the Hibs at Easter Road about a month later. We beat them in the Cup that year, but lost them in the league, I think. Uh, and uh, I just felt, you know, the the appetite just wasn't quite there. And I began to think that maybe we do need a change at the top, which, of course, is absolute blasphemy as far as... Uh, as far as Jock Steen was concerned. Um, but uh, I just thought we could have done with a wee bit more go about us, more ginger about us, you know, more salt, as it were. I mean, the, the, the players were probably uh, good enough, but they just needed a wee bit of more go about it's, it's hard to explain. And, and the support as well, uh, the, I've never actually believed that Celtic fans are necessarily uh, the best in the world because they do turn on their team sometimes when things aren't going well or there's a wee bit of apathy about them. And the, the gates went down that year, 1974 to 1975, just as if they'd had too much success. And I worry sometimes about whether this might get repeated. You know, we mustn't get to the stage where we feel that we're, you know, that the success doesn't mean anything because any League Cup, any Scottish Cup is absolutely important and I can guarantee that as long as I'm alive, I shall write about it someday. 
Absolutely brilliant. Um, it's been brilliant chatting to you, uh, Dave, as it always is. It seems like an age since we sat in Malone's and you chatted. But on, yeah, yeah, that, day, on that day, you surprised us uh, when you broke into some poetry and you gave us a verse or two. So uh, could we finish with a, with a wee poem today? Um, right. I shall tell you my, my favourite one, which is about um, a chap called Andy McAtee, the time of the First World War. What was the poem I did in Malone's Bar? I can't remember. I can't remember myself. Uh, I, I think uh, it might be, was it so, maybe something about the Coronation Cup or around that time. Oh, yes. I, I, yeah, yeah. That, there's a good song about that one. But no, my favourite bit of poetry about Andy McAtee, who came from Croy. Uh, he was uh, a friend of uh, Jimmy Quinn. And of course, in the 1911 uh, Scottish Cup final, there three men from Croy playing in that final. There was Andy McAtee, Tommy McAteer, and of course, the great Jimmy Quinn. But anyway, um, my favourite poem about Andy McAtee, who was a right winger, uh, billiard table legs, it was a great shot, great player. And the poem I liked was uh, uh, First World War, obviously. The Kaiser, they say, only once saw him play and said to his friends, dearie me, my German artillery's just fit for the pillory. They can't shoot like young McAtee. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, David. Always entertaining. <laughs> Listen, you, you look after that dog and make sure he gets a good walk today. Well, my, my wife has since uh, appeared and she is sticking him at the back door. So that's um, that's amazing. He's, he's had a walk already this morning. He'll get another one afternoon because the fine day here in Kirkwood. Ah, brilliant, brilliant. Listen, uh, as I said, it was a pleasure to speak. I'm sure the listeners will love it. You brought the house down in Malone's and I'm, I'm sure the listeners are going to love this. Best of luck with the books. I'm looking forward to reading them. And I'm looking forward to reading many more. Okay, I shall keep going as long as there's breath in my body. I can assure you that. And okay. if, I can get, if I can get a little uh, promotion in for the fans, you can always read David in more than 90 minutes. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Thank you so much, well. David. Okay, then. Okay, Andrew, right. Thank you. Bye. Bye, boys, pal. Bye. Wow. David has wrote over 40 books, 30 on Celtic. The man is a walking encyclopedia and it was such a pleasure to have him on the podcast and have him contributing to the website and our fans in over many years. Uh, folks, thanks very much for everyone who has bought issue 110 of More Than 90 Minutes. We still have a small amount of the print copies available. You can click onto the website and you can also download the digital copy. Or alternatively, you can take out a quarterly or yearly subscription and we'll get that off to you in the post every month. With no ground or match day sales, your support is so much appreciated to keep the print copy alive. Once again, I have to thank my producer, Ron McQuillan, for putting up with me. Folks, if you like what we're doing and you would like to support us, you can do so by visiting our website, selicfanzine.com, where you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of a pint. Thanks for all the support so far and thanks for listening. Don't forget, folks, you can download our new app. It's free and you'll have access to all the podcasts, articles, daily news, video content, info on upcoming events, the fanzine and our online shop, all at the touch of a button on your phone or tablet. All episodes of the podcast are now available on all platforms, including YouTube, so hit the subscribe button or follow and you will never miss an episode. We are still working on something for the YouTube channel, Celtic Fans in TV, and we hope to have that with you after the international break. Thanks again to our episode sponsor, Tip McCann, of the Tunnel Craft Works in Portadown. Much appreciated, Tip. And as always, folks, if your business or Celtic Supporters Club would like to sponsor the podcast or help us out in any way, please email us at info at celticfanzine.com. You can also contact us through the website or message us on social media. Keep all your comments coming in. 
Let us know what guests you would like us to have. And if you have a story to tell or your supporters club is having an event or a fundraiser, let us know and we give it a shout out. We will be back on Tuesday at episode 33 when another guest will be opening up their Celtic soul to us. We can also have a look back at the St. Johnson game and the Europa League draw. We were drawn in Group H with Sparta Prague, AC Milan and Lille. Tough enough draws, but the players will be looking forward to it. And so will we, even though we may be watching on TV. Enjoy the weekend, folks. Set a kickoff against St. Johnson at noon on Sunday. Away days will be on Sky Sports. It was great to see Selig added the away game in Sarajevo to the virtual season take on Torsi. Now the conversation starts on who, what and where the Europa League games will be shown, which TV channels and how much is going to cost us. So folks, stay tuned, stay safe and keep the faith. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.